Real people, real stories, real insight, and all straight from the horse's mouth. If it's equestrian, it's on another installment of Under the Saddle with Adam Cromarty. Hello and welcome to Under the Saddle. I'm Adam Cromarty. This is a brand new podcast. It's episode one. I'm so excited. We're going to be loosening the girth and seeing where the conversation takes us with some of the biggest names in equestrian sports and also celebrities who just love horses. But we're going to be talking about such a wide range of things. It could be sport related, it could be life stories, pop culture, news, current affairs. Maybe none of those, maybe all of them. It really will depend on the guest. If you haven't yet subscribed, please do that. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram as well. Just search Adam Cromarty and then you can DM me. Suggest who you want to hear on Under the Saddle and if there's any questions that you want me to ask. Our first guest, though, is an Olympian who's represented Great Britain on so many occasions. He's got a huge and entertaining personality and... He doesn't mind me saying this, but he's getting on a little bit now and he's still so heavily involved with the sport. He's out there jumping puissances, he's producing some great horses. His wife, Sarah, of course, also a rider in her own right and out there competing as well. But just to give you a bit of a backstory, I had a week off. We were running a presenter training course through my company, Impact Media. We were at Aintree Equestrian Centre and Jeff Billington was coming down to be a bit of a guinea pig for those students that wanted to get involved with equestrian media. I wanted to make the most of the opportunity, so we sat down, we had a chat, and this is what happened. My parents were nothing to do with show jumping, but horses. I saw nine pretty girls walking past our front gate, I followed them and we finished <laughs> up at the local stables. And that's a theme that's continued. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and what was childhood like for you? What were you like at school? What were your parents like? My parents were, my father was, uh, he worked in a foam rubber factory in Accrington in Lancashire. My mum was a, a live-at-home housewife. I've got one sister. When I followed these girls down to the local riding school, yeah. I found out that I, I liked the horses as much as the girls. <laughs> I never looked back. <laughs> Didn't like that all through my life, really. <laughs> and when you were at school, were you, were you a good student? No. No. It always <laughs> said on my report, very easily led, yeah. could try harder. <laughs> other, other, other kids had written on the satchel, the local football team, Burnley or Blackburn. Yeah. I had Bambi, my pony. <laughs> Should I didn't get battered to death. And was that the first pony you had, Bambi? Bambi. What when, was it like? Well, when we went to these local riding schools, uh, there were m- ten of us decided that we were going to save up to buy a pony. You know, a mm-hmm. childhood dream. The Accrington Observer, the newspaper, got wind of it, mm-hmm. and they did an article, and a man had bought his kids a, a little three-year-old Welsh mountain pony as a surprise, yeah. and they weren't interested at all. So he said... If we gave £10 to charity, mm-hmm. we could have the pony. So we all gave a pound and we got the pony. And it was 1966. It's when the Aberfan disaster happened in, in Wales, where the slag heaps slid down over the primary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we gave it to the Aberfan disaster. Luckily, after a couple of weeks, all the girls got boyfriends, lost interest, and I finished up with the pony. <laughs> and from there, did you know that that was going to be your career for the rest of your no, life? No, you never know that, do you? But, you know, I... <laughs> I was watching show jumping on television, Harvey Smith and David Broom were my idols. And then a couple of years later, I started going to shows. And there was this little snotty-nosed kid that never washed his hair from the beginning of the season to the end. He always jumped clear rounds. He was very quiet, and that was John Whittaker. Who went on to be one of your best friends. Yeah, John and Michael, my best friends, yeah. Um, so when did it develop into a career then? When did you start competing? When did you know that, yeah, this is going to be a job for me? Even up to the last year in school, I'd... I knew I wanted to do horses, but my parents couldn't afford to 
you know, to buy horses and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then a fellow from Manchester that had a nightclub called the Talk of the North Club, he was called Joe Pullen. Mm -hmm. He already had David Boyne and Graham Fletcher riding for him. He offered me a job, so I jumped at it. And I think through my, through my life, I've been lucky doing something for a living that I, I would have done as a hobby anyway. I just love horses and show jumping. So when you were working for him, was the next kind of ambition the Olympics? Was it World Cup finals or was it just getting some nice horses to ride? Not even, not even thinking about anything like that. Uh, to get on a British team was the first hurdle. Joe Pullen had a good horse named after the Talk of the North club called Talk of the North. And Graham Fletcher used to ride it. Graham had got a lot of horses and he started leaving him at home. So Joe brought him back, moved me to his home in Turton near Bolton. I got on my first British team when I was 19 years old. And what was that feeling like when you got told that, yeah, you're going to be representing your country? Well, I was so proud, you know, you'd got, you'd got your British flag stitched on your jacket and I'd stand in the room with my red coat on looking at the British bag, that badge. That was, that was what I'd aimed for up to then in my life. And how many times have you wore that flag now? 50. 50? 50. <laughs> I made sure in, in 2013, mm. I made sure I tried to get on a Nations Cup because I knew I'd done 49. Mm. And I thought it would be nice to, if I didn't do any more, to finish on 50 rather than finish 49. On 50. <laughs> so from there, how did you manage to establish yourself as your own business and have your own yard? When I was riding for Joe Pullen, I only had three horses to ride. And people started coming up and asking me to ride their horses, which mm. I couldn't do. So pr probably in my early 20s, I left Joe, rented a yard and sort of went freelance. Where different people sent me the horses. And one of the, one of the people that used to send me horses was uh, George Bowman, yeah. the top driving man. And if they didn't work in his driving team, he'd send them to me to, and I'd see if they could jump. I rode a, f a few for Geordie. And do you think that really brought your riding career on, riding all these different types of horses? And... Oh, definitely. You've got to be able to ride all, all different types. You know, horses are like people. They come in all different shapes and sizes. You've got to be able to adapt to each one. I think the best riders in the world are the ones that can get on a horse and say, right lad, which way do you want to go? Mm. I will assess you in, in the best possible way, rather than those that try to mould them into their style. Talks a lot about your career so far. Moving on to your personal life then. So when you got your own yard, what, what was happening in your personal life? I was freelance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And then I got married when I was 30 to Julie. Tell us about Julie. Julie, she was... She wasn't really horsey. I met her at a show and she'd gone to a show with her friend. Mm. And uh, yeah, I fell in love with her and we got married in 1985. James came along in 1986. Mm -hmm. uh, he's my oldest. He's 33 now and he's, he's a very good rider. He rides for the VDL Stud at yeah. the top of Holland. He's been there for nine years. I took him as far as I could go. I took him off ponies when he was 13 so mm -hmm. he could ride horses and come to shows with me. When he was 16, he, he left and went to Michael Whitaker's for two and a half years. Then he went over to America and he rode for BZ Madden for 18 months. He came back and rode horses for his friend, Tim Gredley, mm -hmm. in Newmarket. Uh, then he came home for a year, but by then he was telling me what to do, not me telling him <laughs> what to do. So we decided that uh, we'd stay friends and he's been in Meppel in Holland now for, mm -hmm. for nine years. And you must be really proud just seeing how, how well he's doing out there. Right, yeah, it's great, yeah. Do you think he'll ever come back over to your yard and it be a kind of dad and lad? or? I don't think so. No. He's, he's got connections over there. Mm -hmm. I keep telling him he should have gone back to America, but he seems happy where he is. <laughs> yeah. Certainly plenty of money in America to be made. Well, if you look at all the young <laughs> Irish lads. Yeah, exactly. They've all made a great life over there. Uh, what happened with Julie? We, get on, we got on great on the telephone all the time, all the years that I was travelling. Mm. You know, I used to go for probably 15 years, myself, John and Michael and Nick, 
Mm. We'd just all be at the same shows every week. I'd yeah. meet John at Manchester Airport on a on a Thursday night. Mm. Uh, the horses would travel from show to show, show to show in Europe. It was only when I came home and started being at home that we realised we didn't get on together. <laughs> People said, you, you must have got on to our five kids, but there you go. So you got on with her five times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after Julie, what was next in the old Jeff Billington personal life? Uh, she asked me for a divorce. Yeah. And a few months later, I met her. I was at, jumping in Scotland at a place mm -hmm. called Rowallan. I rode a horse for them called Casabacus. Mm-hmm which went on to win the Hickstead Derby. But their daughter was friends with Sarah. She's 20 years younger than me. People say she's not too young. And my answer is, if you're swapping your car, you don't go for an older one. <laughs> <laughs> and when you saw Sarah Saltman as she was then, yeah. how did it move from, yeah, she's Very quickly. Okay from <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly. You don't hang about when you get a bird 20 years younger than yourself. <laughs> and, but, but how did that happen? <laughs> How did you manage to do, do, you want to, do it? Do you want me to explain to you the facts of life, Adam? <laughs> well, you need to tell me how you managed to convince her. Uh, uh, she left her guide dog outside. <laughs> um, was it your charm? Yeah, well, it can't have been looks, can it? <laughs> so she obviously, for whatever reason, decided she was going to spend her life with you. She's now moved down. She, yeah, she probably moved down with me a year later. Mm -hmm. And then I think she was with me for five or six years before before we got engaged. Yep. We got married in Barbados in 2013. I, I invited, I thought it would be cheaper to get married in Barbados because mm. to have one at home, I'd probably have to invite six or 700 people. <laughs> exactly. Where in Barbados, I said, right, I sent everybody an invite and then if, if they could afford it. I'd, quite a lot of my, my really good friends couldn't make it. Yeah. But John, Michael, uh, Holly Townend, there were quite a lot of came as well. I think I think there were seventy eight people at the reception, seventy nine people at the reception. Mm. Just kind of pausing to talk about John and Michael. I mean, you've had a lifelong relationship with them and friendship. Yeah. Uh, kind of how deep is that friendship, and what's it like traveling the world with them? Oh, just absolute best of mates. You know, it's, mm. they call me the the other brother. That's that's how how close it is. And talking about horses that you've had, but we've got to talk about its Otto as well. Well, he changed my life. When people talked about going to Olympic Games, and I, I, I always, you know, like Olympia and that, I always had a horse good enough to jump in the big classes, but never had one to take on the big guns, the mm. Franco Slutex, the Lugders, the Hugo Simons in, in the absolute best classes. I'd win an odd class every now and again. Uh, so I'm, when people said, what's your ambition? I never, I never said the Olympic Games because I didn't think I'd ever have a horse good enough. I always said the Calgary Grand Prix was my ambition because it was yeah. the biggest money. Yeah, it was Bruce Meadows. Yeah. Uh, so where did you find it, Soto, and what had he done when he arrived? It Soto found me. Okay. I used to ride for a man called Gerard Lever 20 years before. Mm -hmm. He said to me, I've got two six-year-old horses. I want to send them to you. Yeah. I said, yeah, it's so much a week. He said, oh, I don't want to pay. I said, well, how's this going to work? Mm. He said, well, I'll give you half of them. All right, yeah. Oh. And they came, and it's Soto was one, and another horse called Mancuso was the other. And it's Otto was, he had the most unbelievable jump, but he didn't know how to control his body. Okay. So he'd, sometimes he'd go six foot over a fence and land on the second part of a double nearly. Yeah. Second times he'd put two in two in and stop. And so he had, what he had to do was learn to control his body. And did you know when you sat on him that this was a potential Olympic course? No. 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 I just thought he was this freaky sort of thing mm. that a few people had had beforehand. Yeah. Peter Murphy rode him once and he 
went to Hickstead and he said he was going to put some manners on it, so he put some draw reins on him, mm-hmm. tried to bully him, and he did a backward somersault and landed on him. Right, OK. <laughs> so how did you take him from being a horse like that to an I got him when he was six years old. Yeah. And I can remember that year, it was, that would be 1992, mm. and we are at the Fox into second round at Harewood in Yorkshire, and the Olympics in Barcelona was on. So we went into somebody's horse box watching the telly, and Nick was going clear on Dollar Girl, and then he got eliminated at the last fence. I just thought to myself, I wonder if, I wonder if this is the one that, that can take me there. He progressed very quickly from there. The end of his seven-year-old year, that's when we realised how good he was. As a nine-year-old, he got picked for the European Championships and then went lame three weeks before. He got an abscess in his foot, so we missed that. But then by the time Atlanta came along, he was ten years old yeah. and he was the first horse on the selectors' uh, notepads to go to the Olympic Games in Atlanta. And what was it like travelling to an Olympics back in those days compared to now? I'm with my best friends, John and Michael Whittaker, Nick Skelton. We've all, yeah. we've all grown up from kids together. Mm. Them three had been to previous Olympics. Yeah. I just wanted to soak up the atmosphere, go everywhere. But there were a lot of pranks along the way because they, they took advantage of me, I think. <laughs> what, was the, what was the worst <laughs> thing they did to you? Oh, how long have we got? <laughs> it started off when they were announcing the team. So we, we all went down to Nick's the night before. He mm. lived the nearest to Stoneleigh. And we went on the lash. Yeah. So in the morning, they said that Nick and John had got to go and do something else at Stoneley at the BS headquarters. Mm-hmm. So at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'm asleep, bleary-eyed on the, on the settee. So them two came in in, in their Olympic tracksuits. It was while the rail show was on, where okay. there's tens of thousands of people mulling about. They said, oh, yeah, we've got to go in a tracksuit. Yeah. So I got up, wandered over there at 10 o'clock, walking through the showground in mm-hmm. the bright Olympic thing, people pointing at me and... I got into the press conference and they were in their jeans and t-shirts. <laughs> that, that was the start of it. <laughs> and did you ever get your own back? Oh, loads of times. <laughs> loads of times. So what was the, to turn that round, what was the worst thing that you did to them? Myself and Michael went to, where did we go? Brazil, Rio. Mm-hmm. Sao Paulo, that's where we went. We took one horse each. We got some appearance money to go. We got $10,000 mm-hmm. cash just, just for going. Cut a long story short, Nelson Pessoa took us to a restaurant where they carved the meat off on your plate, you know. Yeah, yeah. Michael was that drunk, he couldn't remember it. So we both had a good show. Michael won one class, I won another class. Coming home, Michael said he, he was going to get that drunk that mm-hmm. uh, he could go to sleep there and wake up in at Heathrow. Mm-hmm. So we got in in Sao Paulo. He fell asleep. What we didn't realise was that driving to, flying to Rio and everybody had to get off the plane for them to clean the plane. Well, yeah. you try waking Michael Whitaker up three quarters of an hour after he'd been on a right lashing. <laughs> and at the time, he was he was sort of with, with his ex-wife, Veronique, but yeah. having an affair with, with his groom, Melissa. Okay. So he went in the gift shop, came out, and I'd, I was carrying some hand baggage. He said, yeah. put that in there. Mm. I said, what is it? And he went, uh, open it. And I opened it. It was a bright orange lycra bikini. I said, which one's that for? He said, whichever one's nicest to me. <laughs> I got home, threw my bag on the floor, just sat watching the telly. James came home from school, he was about 10, 11, and the wife was always trying to catch me out. So James walked through in his school uniform with his bright orange lycra bikini over the top <laughs> of his school uniform. I looked and I went, it's not mine, it's Michael's! <laughs> she said, how long's Michael been wearing this sort of gear? <laughs> so I rang Mick. I said, Mick, tell her what you put in my bag. Well, he couldn't remember. 
<laughs> <He'd> totally <laughs> forgotten. Anyhow, I got me on back at Olympia because we got there. We're walking the course for the for the World Cup. We were all sponsored by Virtual Village, where mm. all four of us had to wear purple, purple riding jackets. coats. <laughs> yeah. So I spotted my chance. So I picked up Michael's jacket and I fastened on the buttons on the back, the bikini with the straps. <laughs> so I held it up and I said, here, mate, put your jacket on. All right, ta. So he's walking the course with his bikini top on the back. And everybody sort of trying to be serious about looking at Michael, who's with his ex-wife, Veronique, walking the course. Yeah, yeah. So we got to the next last fence. I said, mate, just feel behind you. <laughs> and did he recognise it? Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, I got me on, mate. And as a bit of a side career, you have been taking the mickey out of riders in your, your demonstrations for, for most in of your the, life, really. In the mid-80s, we yeah. used to go to a show at Mill Lodge in Wisbeach. We were mm. always there over New Year. And I was, I used to go to the nightclub, the Talk of the North, when I was a kid at Joe Pullen's watching all the, and I loved all the impersonators, yep. the Mike Yarwoods and the Grumbleweeds. So on Christmas, on New Year's morning, when we'd all been on the lash the night before, I started impersonating all the different riders. And uh, this grew and grew, and I think in 1986-87, Raymond Brooks Ward got me to do the main act, the one that Lorenzo and all the main acts do now. I had I had one slot yeah. where I took four horses and impersonated all my fellow competitors. But they spoiled that because in those days, everybody had their own style, mm. and now everybody rides the same. <laughs> They've got too professional. And there's been a couple of... I wouldn't call them low points, but World Cup finals in Vegas, where you took the wrong course. <laughs> oh. now, I'm just guessing here, but you're in yeah, Vegas yeah, yeah, with yeah. all those boys, and you take the wrong course. Were you sober at the time? Yes, I was, unfortunately. I One wish of I the wasn't. few times you were sober in Vegas. I'll tell you what happened. I had a desperate round the first day. I've never told anybody this. <laughs> in the speed class, it's Otto's forte. I wasn't going straight against the clock mm. because... He was that careful and you could shock him. If you turned up to a fence too tight, yeah. he could stop. And you know, I had a bad round the first day, so that really put me out of contention. Mm. We jumped the second day and he jumped a good round. The third day was supposed to be the day off where they had the Grand Prix for not the horses that were in the World Cup final. Mm. So I jumped the Grand Prix and he was third. So I thought that was my job finished. So I did go out the night before and just... <laughs> Yeah. Surely not. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't by myself. I think Marlon Bayard was with me and a couple more. Uh, and then somebody dropped out and I got into the last day. Well, I went and jumped clear in the first round. So that that stopped them all saying that little drunkards. I went in the second round and I, know, I can remember I was seventh to go and I could hear them warming up in the tent outside and I, I was listening in the main ring and they were all having time faults, time faults. Well, I remembered walking the course. I thought, jump one spin back to number two quick and I can save some time there because Otto was prone to time falls because he spend a lot more time in the air than the, other, than the other horses. So I jumped number one, spun back, saw my stride, perfect. And I could hear all the shout crowds going crackers. I thought, what's wrong with them? And then I looked ahead and I thought, I'm sure number three was a double. Yeah. It's not now. <laughs> and I'd turned up at inside line. So I came out, there were 16 riders round the table and they're all patting me on the back and saying, oh, don't worry, we've, we've jumped the wrong course. Yeah, not at the World Cup final, not in the final <laughs> leg. And then there was this old bird, English woman that lived in Calgary, and she looked a bit like Barbara Woodhouse with the swishy skirts and all that. And she came and she put her hands on her hips and she said, Jeff Billington, you idiot! <laughs> and all the 15, 16 riders burst out laughing. They'd all been telling me lies. 
So it's been a long career. You're now... 64. Yeah. But you're kind of living a younger life. How old's Alfie? Alfie's three and a half. So... My Scottish wife, she always... I was with her for 10 years and she always said she wanted one, one mm. child, which uh, I couldn't hold against her. But I, I held it against her a lot. <laughs> and then 10 years later, Alfie popped up. And does it keep you young? Definitely, mm. definitely. I was at Chester Zoo with Anthony Condon with his little boy on Saturday. And were you there for the delivery? I was, yeah. Yeah, that was a long job. Mm. That, there's a story to that as well, is it, if we've got enough time? I've always got enough time for your stories, Jeff. She was being induced because she was 40 at the time. Mm -hmm. They said she was being induced, so we had to have her in Leighton Hospital at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So I sat there till 3. They said, there's no point you... You know, if you come back tomorrow at this time, you'll be all right. So I went to my Irish friends, Dave Quigley's. Mm -hmm. His wife made me tea, and then we set about and we drank two bottles of vodka. We went to bed at three o'clock, and at quarter past three, my phone rang. And my wife said, "You'd better get yourself here now. You're going <laughs> to miss it." So I drove ridiculously with one eye open, one eye closed, mm. 15 miles. Got there, and then there were complications. Well, all I wanted to do was curl up and go to sleep. And at one stage, one of the one of the nurses said to to my wife, do you want to get somebody else in? <laughs> they had her in a birthing pool, they had her outside a birthing pool. Anyhow, fortunately, six o'clock the night after, mm. the, cord, the cord was wrapped around his neck, so they had to do a, a section in the end. Mm. Anyhow, everything, everything was good. And what did it feel like at, at that age, holding him for the first time? Oh, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. Oh, come on. He was born on my 60th birthday. Oh, there you go. Yeah. At least you can't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> so what did it feel like holding him for the first time? Oh, yeah, as it, as it did all the others. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. There's, yeah, and just checking that everything's all right and mm. counting the fingers and toes and you know what it's like. You've been there. I've been there. And do you think he looks like Sarah? Or are you? Uh, I hope he looks like Sarah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't realise actually you've actually got six children. Yeah. I knew about James. I knew about Alfie. Yeah. There's uh, Marcus, Daniel, Emily, and Megan. And are they involved with horses at all? No, only James and Alfie. The others, uh, they took they took their mother's side, uh, three of them. Mm -hmm. My oldest girl, Emily, she comes around a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it is now. You know, I keep throwing olive branches out. I'd love, I'd love for them to, for us to be a, a big family one day, but all you can do is try. Yeah. And we talked about you being 64 and you've been jumping priest once once. I know, is this I know. like a midlife crisis? Do you know something, I retired 12 years ago <laughs> in Belfast. I jumped. Seven, I went in the ring with a pint of Guinness, cheers the crowd, put the pint on the wall, turned around, jumped seven foot, yeah. came back, got my pint, and then Ellen Whitaker on that waspy grey mare that she had, I can't remember its name, and some mad Irishman, they jumped clear. I said to my wife, I'm not going in again. My bum was twitching like a bunny rabbit's nose. And... Yeah, I'd, I'd lost my confidence. I said, I'm not going in. Mm. It just stuttered on takeoff. Yeah. And it's like being in a car, when in an old wagon, when you get a little bit of muck in the diesel. Mm. So if I go down to seven foot two and that happens, it's so I retired from Puissons. And then go on 12 years. We got to Reign UK the other week. Yeah. He had one down in the Grand Prix qualifier and the Puissons was that night. I thought, it wouldn't do him any harm, that. I'll give him a round in that. And then he jumped that well. And I went another round and another round. Yeah. And he finished up third. So then, well, that qualified me for the Horse of the Year show. Mm. Why not? And has Sarah got you insured? <laughs> Was she kind of egging the, you The thing is now, they're, they're trying to bribe me to go into Liverpool, and I do, I'm a commentator at Liverpool, and I do not want to jump. But I'm a show-jumping prostitute, and at the end of the day, it's down to money. How's the sport changed? Is it for the better? Is it for the worse? I think we had the best fun. You know, everybody's so professional now. It's, mm. 
as, as all sports are. Yeah. You, all through the generations, I used to go to uh, watch after dinner speeches if I could. And there was a footballer called Duncan McKenzie that was an absolute superstar. But he talked about going down the going down the tunnel and putting his fag out on the on the wall as he was going onto the pitch. <laughs> and yeah. it was about Paul Gascoigne, you know, not remembering winning winning a game and, and scoring a hat trick and all mm. these things. I don't think those things happen anymore. Uh, it's yeah, it's professional. There's more sponsors to to keep happy. It's just the way the world's gone, isn't it? And the Olympic format? Are you a fan of this new format? No. Teams of three? Definitely not. Tell us why. Because I think it's hard on the horses to start with. Mm. You know, with the old format where there's four jump and the three best scores, what happens if one goes lame now? Yeah. Uh, it'll push them for horse welfare to start with. If, if your horse was two tenths lame, they'd probably try and push you to jump it when, when you shouldn't have to. And do you think it's going to let more countries in that perhaps aren't quite ready to, to sort of be there? Unbelievable. It's either, it's like with the with a three-day event in, mm. uh, you know, they build it, is it three-star the Olympics three rather star. than four-star? Yeah. It's it's going to bring the level of the sport down mm. because if they build them as, as they should at the Olympic Games, uh, there's going to be a lot of fatalities. It's not quite over for you. You are going to keep continuing in this sport. What's your plans for the future? You never know. I, I still love. I'm, I'm a show jumping nut. Mm. I, I love it. I what I look at all the results from every show, every yeah. night. I know what every. I know what's going on. I know what everybody's done. I'll keep going until my body packs in, and do different things along the way if I can, just to stay in the sport. Well, that's what happened when we loosened the Garth and I chatted to Jeff Billington, and that was recorded at Aintree International Equestrian Centre in the middle of October 2019. Now, do you want to find out who's going to be the guest on the next episode of Under the Saddle? Well, as I record this, I'm getting ready to head to the Washington International Horse Show, which is a World Cup event right in the heart of Washington, D.C. They literally have to close off streets to build the stables. But one athlete who's certainly no stranger to big cities is Georgina Bloomberg. She grew up in New York with her dad as the mayor. She's got a top string of horses jumping internationally at the moment. But we're not just going to be talking about sport. This is under the saddle. We're going to be talking about the pig that she adopted that lives in her barn. We're going to be chatting about how she juggles life on the road with being a single mom, and also all the charities that she's involved with as well. It is going to be fascinating. Make sure you hit subscribe. Don't forget, I want you to be involved with this podcast as well. Search Adam Cromarty on Instagram. Follow me there. You can send me a DM and let me know who you would like to hear from. That's it, though, for episode one. I've been Adam Cromarty. We'll see you back here on Under the Saddle. Tune in again next time. If it's equestrian, it's on Under the Saddle with Adam Cromarty.